Turn with me to Isaiah chapter 11. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. Oftentimes when a crime is committed, uh, the police will have a sketch to be done so that they can recognize what the criminal looks like. And they use these sketches to, to find, ultimately to track down these criminals that have done these crimes. Well, God has given us a sketch of what the Messiah or the Christ, means the same thing, is supposed to look like. Jesus fulfills the specific sketch given to us by the prophetic prophecies of the Old Testament. And, uh, and he does so as no other person could. Uh, he uniquely fulfills the prophecies of Scripture. He fulfills the hope of Scripture. Because there's no other individual who's ever lived who could ever change a human heart. There's no other individual who's ever lived who could change the course of history. There's no other person who has ever lived who could bring in a new situation where there would be joy, where creation would be restored to its original uh, situation, and where we could have a new heaven, a new earth, and a new Jerusalem. This is what Jesus does some of it he has done already. Some of it he's going to do in the future. But this is what uh, the scriptures teach us to anticipate. And so we need to put our trust in Jesus Christ as the one who changes everything. Not just in history, but in our own lives. So the title of my message is God's Description of the Messiah. And if you'll look with me, we're going, our message is going to be in the first six verses, but I'm going to go ahead and read this whole chapter because I think it's important to see overall what Jesus is going to do. It says, Then a shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, a spirit of wisdom and understanding, a spirit of counsel and strength, a spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. He will not execute justice by what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips." Righteousness will be a belt around his hips, and faithfulness will be a belt around his waist. The wolf will dwell with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the goat. The calf, the young lion, and the fattened calf will be together, and a child will lead them. A cow and the bear will graze, and their young ones will lie down together, and the lion will eat straw like cattle. An infant will play beside the cobra's pit. And a toddler will put his hand into a snake's den. They will not harm or destroy each other on my entire holy mountain. For the land will be as full of the knowledge of the Lord as the sea is filled with water. On that day, the root of Jesse will stand as a banner for the peoples. The nations will look to him for guidance and his resting place will be glorious. On that day, the Lord will... Extend his hand a second time to recover the remnant of his people who survived from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, 
Hamath, and the coast of the islands of the west. He will lift up the banner for the nations and gather the dispersed of Israel. He will collect the scattered of Judah and the, from the four corners of the earth. Ephraim's envy will cease, and Judah's harassing will end. Ephraim will no longer be envious of Judah, and Judah will not harass Ephraim. But they will swoop down on the Philistine flank to the west. Together they will plunder the people of the east. They will extend their power over Edom and Moab, and the Ammonites will be their subjects. The Lord will divide the Gulf of Suez. He will wave his hand over the Euphrates with his mighty wind and will split it into seven streams, letting people walk through on foot. There will be a highway for the remnant of his people who will survive from Assyria as there was for Israel when they came up from the land of Egypt. So how is Jesus described? Uh, well, he brings a completely different situation, doesn't he? He brings a, a situation, ultimately, at his second coming, where this earth will be renovated. The, the lion will lay down with the lamb. I've heard some people say, well, you know, uh, lions are lions. They'll behave the way they're going to behave. Well, God is the maker of DNA. He can change things. He can fashion things in such a way uh, that the lion eats straw like the ox. And that's exactly what it says is going to happen. And so it's going to be completely different. The curse of sin will be removed. And uh, the earth will be unlike at any other time of history. Uh, this is what Jesus is going to do. But God's description of the Messiah is, first of all, that he will bring a new beginning. A new beginning. If you look at verse 1, it says, A shoot will grow from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. The idea is that these, these stumps of the Assyrians that have been cut down, that chapter 10 talks about, uh, the stump of Israel and Judah who have been taken into captive will be replaced with a shoot. This branch, just as you cut off a weed in your garden and the root still remains, the plant comes back, right? If you don't get the root, the plant comes back. Just as sometimes when you cut down a part of a tree and there's a branch that's still alive, that branch will grow into a tree. That happened in my yard uh, one year. So Jesus is the branch. He is the root. And he is the one who brings a new beginning, first to Israel, right? Because uh, Israel will be restored to its former glory. To the world, because all the nations will come to Israel and will benefit from the change that Jesus will bring. But also, he brings a new beginning to human hearts. Jesus told Nicodemus, he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again. There must be a change in your life, Nicodemus. There must be a change in your soul. A miracle of God by which a new beginning takes place within you. Paul says it this way, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creation all things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Jesus gave me a new beginning. And I praise his name for it. He changed my heart and he gave me his joy. And uh, he gave me a hunger for the things of God. And he gave me his presence. 
Uh, what an amazing gift. Uh, he doesn't just bring a new beginning at salvation, though. I love what Lamentation says. It is of your compassions and of your mercy that we're not consumed. For his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, O Lord. God gives us a clean slate each day that we live. If you're a child of God, every day that you live, every morning that you get up is a clean slate with God. His mercies are new every morning. A new beginning. Aren't you grateful for new beginnings? Aren't you grateful for a God of grace and a God of mercy? And by the way, that's the only way Israel could have had a new beginning. Israel was guilty. Isaiah has talked about the judgment that they deserved, the judgment that was coming, the persistence and wickedness and sin in their lives. But though that was true, God said, I am going to make a new covenant with my people. Jesus says in the Gospels, as he's breaking bread with the disciples at the Passover, right before his death, he says, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. See, this new covenant was to change the human heart. God says, I'll write my law upon your heart. Ezekiel said it this way, I'll take out your heart of stone and I'll give you a heart of flesh. You see, this heart changes first. The scripture says that when Jesus comes back at the new covenant, or at the, at the uh, second coming, that the people of Israel will look upon him whom they have pierced And they will mourn because of him. They'll repent. uh, And they will embrace him as their Messiah. There'll be a heart change. And that heart change, that new beginning within, will be the basis for the new beginning without. It's interesting how God will, he'll change somebody from within. And then there'll be changes on the outside too. (laughs) They'll begin to, to change the way they speak. And they won't use the... Uh, a lot of the profanity that they'd used before. They won't use, they won't tell, tell a lot of the filthy jokes that they'd told before. Uh, their speech will clean up. Their, their, their habits will clean up. Their, uh, I love that old cathedral song. Um, Today I went back to the place where I used to go. Uh, he's t- telling people about Jesus in, in his old haunts. But uh, God had made a difference in his habits. And he, he didn't go to the same places. Why? Because God had changed him within and had given him a new appetite for the things of God. So Jesus came and would come to, be, to bring a new beginning. He did that at his first coming to change hearts. He'll do that at his second coming as he renovates this earth and brings in his kingdom. But secondly, God's description of the Messiah is that he has a unique anointing. He has a unique anointing. If you look at verse 2, he says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him. A spirit of wisdom and understanding. A spirit of counsel and strength. A spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. The Messiah, the word Messiah means anointed one. The word Christ means means anointed one. Christ is just the Greek version of the Hebrew word Messiah. It means anointed one. You remember Jesus when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River? The scripture says that the spirit descended in the form of a dove, or as a dove, rested upon him. 
And the voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. What does he say? This is the guy. (laughs) This is the one that I've been telling you about through the prophets. And the Holy Spirit coming in the form of a dove was a, a symbol, a sign that the Spirit of God was anointing Jesus with power in fulfillment of this very prophecy among others. But it would be a unique anointing. There's been a lot of anointed prophets, kings, preachers. Maybe you have have been in a service before where you just sensed a profound presence of the Spirit of God. What a blessing. I I can remember two or three services like that uh, over the years that I've been a part of where God just came down with such power. And people were repenting of their sin. And uh, people were, were weeping at the altar under conviction. Why? Because the presence of God had come down. In Jesus, the presence of God had come to this earth. And he was the anointed one, anointed with the spirit of wisdom and power. Uh, you remember Jesus when he was 12 years old at the temple? I love that story. I wish... I wish I could have been a fly on the wall to hear the discussion. If I'd have understood it, probably, you know, in speaking in Aramaic, I don't know if I'd have understood it, but I'd love to have been there. And um, Jesus is reasoning with the doctors. How many 12-year-old boys can do that? He's reasoning. He's saying, hey, uh, what about this? And, and, and uh, let's talk about this. And, and they're, they're talking about these deep things. And the Bible says that they were amazed. They were amazed at what he was saying. They were amazed at what he knew at his young age. And, of course, Mary and Joseph come and and find him there and bring him back. But uh, later on in his ministry, the religious leaders had sent some guards to, to seize Jesus. And the guards heard him speaking. And they became so spellbound Uh, under the influence and the power of the Spirit of God, that they just sit there and listen. And they went back, and they didn't arrest Jesus. They went back, and they said, well, where's Jesus? We sent you to get Jesus. They said, nobody ever spoke like this man. John the Baptist had been there. Jesus said he was the greatest among women under the Old Covenant. But John the Baptist didn't speak like Jesus. No one had an anointing like Jesus. Jesus had such a powerful anointing that when the demons of the demoniac came before him, they fell at his feet, quivering in fear because they saw the sovereign one standing there. And Jesus, with a word, sent the demons away. Jesus uh, spoke with power because he had a unique anointing. Jesus lived as no one else has ever lived because he had a unique anointing. We read in Romans that the Spirit of God will quicken our mortal bodies to help us live the righteous life that God calls us to live as we allow him to fill us and live through us. Jesus embodied this as no other person in history. Jesus lived a perfectly righteous and moral life. He lived as no one lived because he had a unique anointing. Elijah 
grew discouraged and depressed after his great victory over the prophets of Baal. David failed and sinned. Solomon became proud. His heart turned away from God. Uh, story after story in the Bible tells us of the uniqueness and the humanness. By the way, that's one of the evidences for the veracity of the scriptures because it portrays the, the people of God not in some kind of special light, but as ordinary human beings who fail and make mistakes and, and sin. Um, but you don't find this with Jesus. Not one time. Why? He had a unique anointing. No one ever prayed like Jesus. Would you have loved to, to be in the prayer meetings with the disciples when they heard Jesus pray? Wow. I'd have loved to have been there. I, I love this. You know, they were so excited about it, they said, Lord, teach us to pray. We want some of that, whatever that is. We want it. He had a unique anointing in prayer. He had a unique anointing in his power. A power unlike anything we've ever seen. He had an anointing to make a difference. How does a young, obscure prophet in Israel, we know he was God as well, but just looking at it from human terms, how does an obscure prophet in Israel who lived and, and worked and, and just ministered for about three years, make a difference. Who knows of him? Who's heard of him, right, at that time? And yet his disciples turned the world upside down. No one has ever had an influence like Jesus Christ. He's still changing lives today. Why? He had a unique anointing. No one was ever anointed as he was. what he says the spirit of the lord will rest on him it won't just come and then depart it will rest upon him a spirit of wisdom and understanding had wisdom and understanding like no one else counsel and strength you know what that tells me jesus can guide you in your life he, he can guide you through his word he can guide you through his holy spirit he has perfect wisdom and understanding and counsel he has perfect strength he can help you with what you're facing he has perfect knowledge. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 13, we know in part. You prophesy in part when that which is perfect has come, that which is in part would be done away. Jesus has perfect knowledge. We know in part. So, so come to him. If you've got a biblical question, sometimes people ask the pastor, well, I don't mind you asking me. I'll, I'll tell you as best I can. Ask the Lord. Lord, what does this mean? I'm confused. Turn on the light. <laughs> Show me what I'm trying to figure out here. Help me with your knowledge. The Bible says the Spirit of the Lord guides us into all truth. And so, uh, Jesus has a unique anointing. And, and that's what was prophesied of him. And, of course, when he comes at his second coming, all of these things will be in play and will be exercised as he rules over the earth. What an amazing time that will be. So God's description of the Messiah, he's described 
um, he, in that he brings a new beginning, a unique anointing, a perfect justice. A perfect justice. Look at verse 3. It says, His delight will be in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes. Seeing is believing. No, that's not, that's not what he's going to do. He, he will not judge or exercise justice by what he hears with his ears. But he will judge the poor righteously and execute justice for the oppressed of the land. Well, how, how do you judge something if you can't see it and you can't hear it? Right? What, what do human judges generally do? They see the witness, right? They see the evidence that's brought forth. They hear the testimony that's offered. And based upon the wisdom they have, they make a, a decision. There's limitations, right? Because sometimes the evidence may point to the wrong person. I read a, a story a few years back about this man who was unjustly accused. He was on death row for a crime he didn't commit. He committed some other crimes he deserved to be executed for, but that's beside the point. But he was, he was unjustly tried and convicted. Why? Because they didn't have all the evidence. Sometimes injustice happens because unjust laws are, are, are uh, voted into existence, right? We have a Congress. Can I tell you something? They don't always vote everything right. Uh, they don't have perfect wisdom. So a lot of times the legislation that they bring forth in some ways is unjust. But you see, Jesus will not have this problem because he will not judge by what he sees or what he hears because he will have perfect knowledge of the situation. If you ever hear an eyewitness, they say, well, I was there. Jesus was there. Every single time. He knows exactly what's happening. Why? Because he's not only the Messiah, Jesus Christ, who is a man, who is full of God, but he's also the infinite God, the Son of the universe, who is omnipresent. He sees everything at every time. He knows everything perfectly. He searches hearts and minds. Jesus, sometimes he'd be in a discussion with somebody and the scripture says he knew their hearts. There's some saying, we believe in you, but the Bible says he knew their hearts. He knew they really didn't. Other times, he knew the sin. He knew what they were thinking. He knew how they were reasoning. Why? There was a supernatural knowledge. And the result of Jesus judging and ruling as king, as legislator, as judge, will be because of his omniscience that he knows everything perfectly. He will always perfectly judge. If your kids come to you, it doesn't take very long. They say, life is, you know, this is not fair. My brother got this. I got this. Right? And, and before long, you probably tell your kids, well, life's not fair. You, know? <laughs> you might as well get used to it, right? That's kind of the situation we face in life, isn't it? A lot of times things aren't fair. Things aren't just. When Jesus comes, they will be. 
He will rule with perfect justice. So God's description of the Messiah, he brings a new beginning, a unique anointing, a perfect justice, and finally a divine warfare. If you look at verse 4, it says, He will strike the land with a scepter from his mouth, and he will kill the wicked with a command from his lips. I don't know anybody who can do that, do you? (laughs) The only place that I remember ever hearing of anything like that is back in Genesis chapter 1, where the Bible says, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. You see, the reason Jesus can destroy his enemies with a command can destroy his enemies with a word is because he's God the son there are some things that need to be fought against there's evil to be confronted the Messiah will confront it with perfect justice but also with a divine warfare. Can I tell you something? No enemy will stand before him. The demons who were quivering in fear, they knew what he was about. They knew who he was. And they knew they needed to tremble. Jesus came in his first coming to be the suffering servant and to take the penalty for our sin at the cross and to rise again. And uh, The Bible says he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. But when he comes a second time, he will come to destroy his enemies. And Revelation 19 tells us that he'll come and with the breath of his mouth, he'll destroy the wicked. They'll be gathered around Jerusalem for the battle of Armageddon. We'll come back, I believe, uh, I believe we'll be part of that great throng that's with him that comes. But we won't have to do anything. I remember uh, years ago seeing the, uh, the bombs that they were using in Desert Storm. And they, they uh, would drop these bombs, and, and in these bombs there were like 50 little discs. And these discs would spread out, and they, were, they would seek out these tanks. And so you could destroy 50 tanks with one bomb. I thought, that is so cool. I was very impressed. But can I tell you, Jesus, when he gives the command... The second coming, all of his enemies will be destroyed like that. No battle, no struggle, just one word, and it's over. Tells me a couple of things. I can trust that even if there's not justice now, there'll be justice one day. But it also tells me I need to be on the right side of that battle. What side of the battle are you on? Are you a child of God? Do you know him? And so Jesus coming becomes a thing of hope and joy because it's a thing of blessing for his people. But if you're on the wrong side of that coming, Jesus coming means his judgment. Uh, The Bible says that there'll be an ultimate judgment uh, 
where God will judge the, the uh, people who haven't trusted Christ and he'll say, depart from me, I never knew you. And the scripture says they'll be cast into the lake of fire that burns forever and ever. Then there'll be a judgment for righteous people, uh, the people that know Christ. They're righteous because Jesus has credited his righteousness to them. Uh, and Jesus will give rewards for the things that are done here uh, for him, even a cup of water given in his name. What side are you on? Can I tell you something? God doesn't want anybody to perish. Scripture says that. It says, God does not desire that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of repentance. So God doesn't desire the death of anyone. That's what Jesus came the first time to settle. Jesus lived the perfect life you couldn't live so that he could credit his righteousness to you. He died the death that you and I deserve so that the punishment, the wrath, the justice of God that we duly deserve was poured out upon him at the cross and Jesus said it is finished. Paid in full. But just because Jesus has done that doesn't mean it automatically applies to you. You must receive it. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them gave he the right to be called the children of God, even to those who believe on his name. Uh, if you will put your trust in Jesus Christ, repenting of your sin and receiving the gift of eternal life, he'll save your soul. It's a promise of God. And all that sin will be wiped away, buried in the sea of forgetfulness, Separated as far as the east is from the west. He'll adopt you into his family. He'll make you his child. He'll give you and assure you of a home in heaven. All of these things are blessings that come from being a child of God. But if you fail to trust Christ before Jesus comes, it will be too late. Uh, it is appointed unto man once to die... And after that, the judgment, the scripture says, are you ready? It is my desire that this divine warrior would destroy the enemies of God because the opposition to God has to be dealt with. But it's not my desire to see anyone fail to trust Christ. Would you trust him today? Jesus has come. He's paid the price for sin, and he's coming again. Will you be ready? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Help us to recognize the seriousness, Lord, of, of responding in the right way to Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I pray for those who are gathered here. Uh, Lord, I know that there is a spiritual struggle that the enemy whispers in our ear, well, you've got all the time in the world. You can make this decision any time. But, Lord, you said today is the day of salvation, so we're not guaranteed tomorrow. Father, I pray.